2: It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13, which means it's time for another writer's routine. Hello. Today's guest walking us through her working day is Natasha Scripture. Her book, Manfast: How One Woman's Dating Detox Turned Into a Spiritual Reckoning Across Four Continents, uh, came out in the UK at the start of May and it does exactly what it says on the tin, really. But it started off as something different. Now, what was originally meant to be like a pithy, sassy dating guide morphed into a deep, philosophical, transformational memoir. So we'll talk a bit more about how it ended up like that in this episode. Also, we chat through the process of writing memoir and what it's like opening yourself and your life up to criticism and how she manages to deal with that and why she has some of her best ideas in the most irritating places.
1: So much of my inspiration comes not when I'm actually at the computer, it's when I'm moving and doing stuff. So I try to, you know, I like to garden and things like that. I like hiking, these kinds of things. And, and actually my best ideas come to me in the shower. It's weird. Um, so I usually keep like a notebook, especially when I was really in the middle of this book, near the shower. I I take long showers. I feel really bad admitting that. So stay there. That's all on the way with Natasha Scripture
2: in this week's writer's routine. Yes, hello, welcome along. Thanks for coming back. It's Writer's Routine. Now, my name is Dan Simpson and this is the show where we take a look inside a creative's daily diary and we hear the process and the plotting and the plan that drives them towards publication. Now, you might need to bear with me, actually. I'm recording in my flat today and you may need to forgive the little bits of noise that may filter through into our chat because apparently my neighbour has decided that conditions today are finally perfect to try and dig for oil in southwest London, (laughs) so you may get a little bit of that filtering through every now and then. Anyway, how are you? Have you managed to steal some time over the last week or so to have a few hours of writing every day? Have you heard something in this show which has helped you out with that? I have. I mean, I know it's my show, so I probably would say that. But still, it's true. I, I've been writing a show for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I'll be up there for the whole of August, really, not with this podcast. for something else that I'm working on. Uh, now, even though what I'm working with, the, the project up there, is miles apart from the type of thing that most of the authors on this show talk to us about and would concern themselves with, I have really found that the principles across the board, really, are exactly the same. And I've always kind of known it, but the last few weeks of work has really cemented in my mind that the basics of telling a story and getting it out there really never change. So that's my little writing wrap up from the week just gone. If you've got one, if you've heard something on this show that has helped your writing recently, then seriously, I'd love to know. The best way you can tell me is to leave it as a review over on the iTunes podcast store. There's like this little box there down at the bottom after you've put in your name and you've given us five stars, obviously. You can tell me the story of how your story is getting on. Honestly, it would mean the world to me. It would just mean so much that this little bit of nonsense that we do most weeks is having real life effects. So go over there. Please do me a favour. Find Writer's Routine and leave us a review over on the iTunes podcast store. Now, today on Writer's Routine, we've got something a little bit different for you. For the last few weeks, we've had fiction authors on the show, mostly crime and thriller ones, actually. Now I've noticed that. So I thought we'd kind of mix things up a bit this time. So today's guest is Natasha Scripture. She's a poet, a humanitarian worker. She's travelled all over the world, and she was constantly being told uh, that she needed to settle down with a man at last. I know, society, right? Uh, So she started to write about that journey and see what happened, about going on countless dull, strange dates, writing about the weird ways that you have to meet people uh, in the 21st century as well. Uh, But then the book became something different. It stopped being like your standard dating detox guide, and it morphed into something more. Something more open, something more philosophical, something more transformational. Natasha ended up with Manfast, how one woman's dating detox turned into a spiritual reckoning across four continents. Yeah, and it's something that she calls transformational non fiction. Now, we'll talk about that change in her work and why she started writing a completely different book than the one she was tasked with during the show. Also, I think this will be really interesting uh, as something different because it's not something we've really done before on the show. I mean, in this chat, we do still talk about the intricacies of her writing routine, but many of the authors that we've had on recently, they've taken great pride in the nuts and the bolts of storytelling. Her writing is more of an experience. It's more journalism, really. It's about going out and doing something interesting and reporting back on it. So we'll talk about the way that that works for a writer as well in a little bit. Now, as always, we'll get a writing tip that may change the way you work forever. Today, it's from one of the UK's most famous and successful crime authors, and it's all about comfy pyjamas. Yeah, so you should stick around for that. First, let's start with this week's guest, the effervescent Natasha Scripture, talking about the places that she sits down to write
1: with this particular book, I wrote it everywhere. Um, it was, or it is, an experiential memoir. So I started in New York, um, and then, you know, I was in India for a couple months. I was in Tanzania. I was in Sicily. So I, I literally wrote it on trains, um, just in hotel rooms. I kind of sat in the same place when I was working on the revision, and the surroundings are probably more on the bohemian side um I have a little shrine where I write kind of uh just some trinkets that I love I talk a lot about um Indian gods and goddesses in my books, so I have uh like Saraswati who's the Indian goddess representing the arts um and then also Ganesh who's the god of wisdom so, I have those statues around me, um, just like incense and sage and some really special books, a printer, lots of paper, lots of post- post-its. So, what's the special books then? Oh, gosh, a, a range. I have a lot of poetry books, um, you know, Rumi, I have The Prophet, stuff by Marion Williamson, The Heroine's Journey, Maureen Murdoch. Uh, Joseph Campbell, the Bhagavad Gita, which is a big component in the book, um, the last chapter especially, so I'm always referring back to it, those kinds of books.
2: If you've got these trinkets, this shrine that kind of helps maybe you get in touch with the spirituality that you need to write this kind of book, when you're writing, when you're traveling all over the world, you know, you're on planes you're on trains, have you got anything that's consistent that maybe helps you tap into what you need to get the words down when maybe you're on a train speeding through the Indian countryside.
1: Exactly. Um, My MacBook, (laughs) my little pink MacBook is always with me, Uh, a journal. I always have one of those uh, composition notebooks. Um, I take a lot of notes in it or just write freehand. Um, That's part of my writing practice. And I do have a little statue of Ganesh that I keep in my bag with me at all times.
2: Let's talk about the writing practice then. So how does it work with you writing longhand, and then you transcribing up to the Mac. How, how do you differentiate between those?
1: Yeah, I think for me, when I write my journal, I'm getting out the gunk, really. I'm just saying everything. It's stuff that I know no one will ever read. Sometimes I have a nightmare that people, like the house will burn down, but everything will be left but my journals. And then, you know, because I've kept a journal since I was like seven, my deepest, darkest thoughts. But that's where I just pour everything out so that when I get to... The actual craft of writing, as in working on my articles or my book, I feel like I've gotten out a lot of that kind of, I don't know, it's not garbage, but it's just sort of the pre-writing, I think. Um, I really like Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. She talks about the morning pages where you basically write freehand, um, three pages freehand, and you don't take your pen off the paper. Um and just anything that comes to mind. And if you really can't think of anything, which I always have something to say, um, you can just write the same kind of phrase over and over, or this is dumb, this is dumb, which you wouldn't do, but, or a mantra or whatever, it's just to get that kind of flow going. For me, I think I tend to overwrite. I mean, I write a lot, so I actually did the math because my book is around 86,000 words, I think. They'd asked for 80,000 words, so I went over. Uh, they kindly let me keep most of them, but actually, in the whole process, because we had a couple of chapters—one on just mindfulness and one on um, some charity work that I was doing in India—and we cut them. So we cut a total of sixty-five thousand five hundred and thirty-one words. I don't struggle to write; I just struggle to keep it tight. To con- yeah, to cut it down. Well, that's
2: on the nose. Well, this is something interesting then. So this is a work- this is a memoir. So it's a work of of, of nonfiction, almost a travel log, a-, a journey of self-discovery, and you've said that. You, you've written journals yourself and since you were extremely young did you ever write make-believe stories while you were young or were you just charting what happened in your day
1: for me i kind of bounced around when it comes to genres i think i started off as a poet i i think of myself as a poet actually i feel like that's the medium that that's the form that comes most naturally to me um and then I was uh, writing stories in the form of fiction. So I've written a novel, it's terrible. It's under my bed. Um, no, actually it's not so bad, but I just, I find writing fiction really hard, but I was trying to write fiction for many years. I started an MFA in LA. I was so young, I was like, I don't even know what to write. I have nothing to say. Um, I struggled a lot with the story arc, the the plot, dialogue. I mean, pretty much every aspect of it. So. I was trying to tell stories, but then I kind of, I guess, mm, I don't know, maybe it was like eight years ago, I started to write nonfiction, like articles, because I was working as a journalist. Um, And the nonfiction, you know, personal essays, things like that, it really was easy for me. So much easier than fiction. So I do think there's storytelling in nonfiction, obviously. Um, And they say the best nonfiction reads like fiction. I don't think I have a day that is the same every day in terms of my writing routine. I think what I've managed to do while kind of juggling a crazy full-time career is that I would take, you know, um, some time off like days at a time, you know, or just do full immersions on the weekend because it takes a while to actually get into the flow for me. So for example, if I have to be at the office at like nine ish, um, it's a shame because I tried this at first to write in the morning and then, and then go to the office. And then, and I find I get really angry that I have to go to the office cause I'm, you, you know, within like actually after two hours, I feel like I'm getting into the flow for me. It's like, I just want to do it all day. So I do it kind of, um, and I go on writer's retreats and things like that. So t- I, I, I did it in, I don't know what you call it spurts, I guess, but yes, my generally on those days when I'm not working, I'm just writing. Um, Morning starts off with a lot of tea. I mean, basically, I'm a tea because you got to move around and that's just a great way to do it. Go make a cup of tea. You love your tea here. So, I usually work for a few hours. Tea, oh, I don't know. I guess you're going to ask me what I eat. That really depends. That's okay. I- <laughs> that's, uh, that, that, that's fine. <laughs> but I do try to move it up. I, I mean, move it, sort of spice things up. I go to a coffee shop uh, nearby, this bookstore that I like. And then I kind of, I like to be around people and a little bit of buzz and then I get annoyed that they're making too much noise and then I go back. <laughs> but it's like, okay, I've like left, because it is such a solitary, um, you know, art form. I mean, I guess most art forms are, but um, I just feel like I should have some human interaction or contact on the days that I'm just writing. Uh, then I, I do yoga. You know, you've got to move because sometimes you just get stuck in a, certain, in a certain area, then I find with me, and I, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I'm sure other writers feel this way, so much of writing is actually not writing, so much of my inspiration comes not when I'm actually at the computer, it's when I'm moving and doing stuff, so I try to, you know, I like to garden and things like that, I like, um, you know, I like surfing, uh, I like hiking, these kinds of things. And, and actually my best ideas come to me in the shower. It's weird. Um, so I usually keep like a notebook, especially when I was really in the middle of this book near the shower. I I take long showers. I feel really bad admitting that, but that's, I I don't know something about the water flowing and then just to sort of, I I think other writers No, I understand it's, it's,
2: I think it's be pure solitary alone time. And I think no one's going to disturb you while you're in the shower I'd think it's one of the only safe places that you can so maybe that allows your brain to kind of think a little more freely perhaps. With, with your bursts though you say you write in spurts How long do these go on for before you think you need to stand up and go to the kitchen, make another cup of PG tips?
1: Yeah. You know, I can, I can, you know, sitting is the new smoking, but I feel bad. I mean, I really could sit there for three or four hours without moving and just be like, and you're supposed to look away from your computer, what, every 15 minutes. I mean, I, I have to really remind myself to do these things because I just, when I'm in the zone, I'm in the zone and it's amazing and it feels almost sacred Uh, So, um, you know, I turn off my phone and I try not to check social media and that kind of stuff. Um, So, yeah, it can be three to four hours without moving, without even going to the bathroom. And then I'm like, I need to move. This is kind of gross (laughs) because I'm just sitting here getting cellulite or whatever happens when you sit for so long. It basically was supposed to be um, a fun and sassy guide for women. detox from dating. So like a spiritual detox from dating, um, how to do it, what to do while you're on this detox. And I had actually written an ebook, um, which I wrote in a month and I self published it on Amazon and, um, it was getting some traction and and it was kind of that. And so what happened shortly after that is I found an agent. And so, uh, you know, when we sat down and talked through, she was like, okay, let's expand this, et cetera. So we did develop the proposal based on my ebook, which we've since taken offline, right? Um, but there was another book inside me that I really wanted to write. And I remember very specifically, we were in New York at the, at the very swanky Gramercy Park Hotel. I think it was just, you know, having coffee, going over these two different book ideas. Do we do Man Fast, this kind of self-help book, or do we do the memoir that I wanted to write, which was which I was pitching as Eat, Pray, Love in a refugee camp based on my uh, career as an aid worker, you know, working in places like Ethiopia and Bangladesh and Haiti. Um, and we really kind of went back and forth. And she's like, well, you've got a lot of the content already written in your ebook, so that would be pretty easy to do. And so we kind of decided I would start with that. And what ended up happening is I kind of mush the two together because in this book I end up you know writing a lot about my humanitarian work Um, so it's really not and I do feel like the the title is a misnomer um, and the subtitle but I think when you get into it it's a lot deeper than it kind of appears um, <laughs> when you just look at it at first glance. It's very catchy when I'm carrying a book around that says "Man Fast" like on the tube here, like everyone's staring at me. And the men are very intrigued by it, of course, like, oh, what's that? How dare she go on a mom fast? you know?
2: So you said that you and your agent sat down to expand this. How are you doing that? When I sit with fiction authors and they tell me about what they know before they sit down to write usually they know the beginning they know the end they might know a few places that they're going on their stories roadmap during the middle when you sat down every time with, with, with your mug of tea what did you know about what you would write in the next three or four hours
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i i'm not a big i'm not big on structure um it was almost like a journey into the unknown. I think that was my whole book, actually, because I spent nine months on the road, really. Uh, so when I sat down with her, we had this. We had come up with this outline, and we had these different nine chapter headings. And there were, um, they were kind of supposed to be self defeating behaviors that I had, and then things that I was going to do to kind of transform myself, um, so I wouldn't make the same mistakes when I was out you know, going on dates or whatever, um, we just dropped, I mean, I dropped all of that, I didn't, I think I was never really comfortable with the prescriptive element of it, I really wanted some, a more of a narrative story, um, so it just felt like I felt too young, I'm not going to say my age, you could probably find it online, but to say, to write a memoir, but it's now actually quite a trend for young women to write memoirs, so, um, I didn't really know. I kind of tried to, when I first started, when I sat down, I'm like, all right, we've signed the contract. Let me get going. Um, and I remember I started, I was in Mexico City, actually. And I was sitting, okay, I'm going to try to uh, stick to this structure. But I think within a month, I was like, nah, not going to do that. So, But I didn't really know where I was going. And I think that that's something that gives me a lot of comfort. I feel like you learn how to write a book from writing a book so I think there was a lot of fear that I didn't know where I was going instead of trust and now that I've gone through that whole process of just writing and going in a direction and then sometimes you have to write like I said there are a lot a lot of words we cut sometimes you have to write to get to that one thought that's going to be like really the pivotal thing that you're going to focus on and then you're going to cut all the stuff around it so it's 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 such a strange thing writing um, one of the first things I did was uh, go to an ashram in Kerala and subject my body to a variety of Ayurvedic treatments, which was fun slash scary and um I was very authentic about what I chose to write about because not every aspect of living in that ashram was interesting or would be interesting to readers. I wrote about what I found interesting. So basically, I wrote the book to myself in a way. So that informed my decision. Like, did I find, um, you know, drinking these purple herbal liquids, um, Interesting, yes, because there are these powerful kind of um, herbs that are supposed to transform our body and, and cleanse us. Did I find uh, giving up certain things like spices, um, like chilies, for example, and, and liquor, interesting, and writing about that? Yeah, I did, because I had to um, kind of study it and, and regurgitate it for the reader. And I have to write to make sense of of my life and what's going on in my head. It's like I can't figure it out in my head.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
2: We'll get a top writing tip that may change the way you work forever in just a sec. This week, it's from one of the UK's most successful crime authors. And he's got a great piece of advice on reviewing your work and also on the most comfy lounge wear. So stay there, it's on the way. First, let me just kind of prod and nudge you towards all of the ways that you can get in touch with the show if you fancy. If you've got a question or something to say about us and you want a speedy reply or a share, uh, the best place to do that is over on Twitter, so you can give Writer's Pod a follow there. Also, you can get motivational quotes with nice glossy filters to motivate you every day on Instagram. Give us a follow, we're Writer's Routine there. And you can get in touch with the show, you can find all the way to catch up on any episode that you've missed so far as well you can get links to every guest's work that's on the website writersroutine.com let's get this week's writing tip that may change the way you work forever then this is what happens right at the end of our interview when the author thinks finally it's over and that they don't have to answer any more questions about what time they drink coffee in the afternoon or what size font they use when they're writing. Uh, But it's not over because I steal just one extra minute from them right at the end for a little bonus question. And it's what is the single greatest writing tip that they could share? Like if they were chatting to a budding author and they had time for just one sentence of help, what would it be? Now, today we've got one of the UK's most successful crime authors with some pyjama tips. My name is Mark Billingham. I'm the writer of the Tom Thorne series of crime novels. Um, I have one major tip, but before the major tip, a couple of minor tips. Buy yourself a fine, fine pair of lounging trousers by which I mean pyjamas. Um, but actually a good tip is that when you've saw finished work for the day, you think you finished work for the day, whatever that time of day that might be, give yourself five minutes to think about what you're going to start doing the next day and write it down. Just write it down without stopping. Don't correct your spelling mistakes. Don't correct punctuation. Just write, 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 write. A big sort of stream of consciousness stuff. Then turn the computer off and go to bed. And then you can look back at what you did the night before the following morning and
1: it gives you a place to start.
2: If you want more from Mark Billingham, you can have a listen to the last episode of Writer's Routine for the full chat with him there. You can find that wherever you're listening to me right now on. It's the episode, just blow this one on your feed, and you can also get it and download it over at writersroutine.com. Let's get back to today's guest then. Natasha Scripture is on the show. Her book, Manfast is out right now. It's the experiential memoir, the transformational story of how she travelled all over the world to find out what love for her was. Really means. Now, there's a bit of eat, pray, love chat in this second half. Uh, We talk about how that inspired her story and how what she's worked on is also completely different. We find out what she discovered on this journey, what the point of it all really was, and if she's even figured out what love for her really means. And we start with the idea of self harm. Now, not in the horrible sense of the word, more in the If she knows that she's got to write down her experiences into a book and that book's got to sell, does she go out of her way looking for terrible times and awful dates
1: to make the story more interesting? I've been accused of that. I really don't need any more bad dates. Um, Had enough, could probably write another book about it. But um, I'm just not really even interested in writing about that anymore. I mean, I, I kept the, that element in the book, but I didn't want to focus on that. I really wanted to focus on the spiritual transformation I was having. But these these experiences are funny. And that's why, you know, that list that you're referring to, I kept it in, um, because it kind of sets up the, the sort of stage for why I go on a man fast. It's like I had all these horrible dates. And in the search for love, I kind of lost myself in that search. I felt disconnected from myself and and I I was behaving in a way in which I was acting as if I was incomplete. So it was like how do I get back to my sense of well-being, which is this idea that you don't need anyone else to complete you, right? I definitely get a lot of comments on my blogs. <laughs> I used to write about dating for the New York Times, The Huffington Post, and um You know, it's quite provocative to write about these things. And I can ignore their comments now. I mean, they don't really affect me. So that's an element of self-harm, I think. When you say self-harm, that's what I think of. Like, are you really ready to open yourself up to the public in this way? Because you could make a lot of men angry. And I do. But I don't really care.
2: Are Are you happy to take criticism? Because I think that with bloggers and with someone that writes, as I say, so openly about your life by the nature of doing it you're inviting your life to be scrutinized how do you feel about that is there any part of natasha now that you're not up for putting out on show in front of people
1: oh yeah there's tons in fact i mean this is what i say you only know what i want you to know i mean i didn't include everything in the book there's a lot that i didn't um and I won't ever write about, right? So I still have a lot of secrets. Um, and to answer your question about opening myself up, I mean, definitely I do feel some some fear around that. Like, you know, being an artist in general is an act of being vulnerable. But I also feel like I much rather connect with people, and I think you can only connect with people, like your readers, if you're open in that way, if you're vulnerable, if you're sharing your experiences. I mean, I used to think, oh, I want to write a New York Times bestseller, um, like, you pray love. But now I'm like, if I can write something that resonates even with a small handful of women, I feel like, I feel like I've done my job. Like, I'll be so satisfied with even that. It's so weird because some of my earlier stuff was a lot kind of, it was very witty and very funny and maybe like a little cruel when I was writing about dating. And even in my ebook, um, I was pretty mischievous, but I do feel like my tone has changed in the past few years. Um, since losing my dad and things like that, I definitely feel like my voice is different. It's like this different voice. I mean, I, I truly believe that when I'm writing, it's like the universe communicating through me. I know that sounds crazy to people who aren't spiritual, but I definitely feel, and then I got to this point when I was writing this book and I I originally wasn't even gonna write about my father's passing and then the first draft didn't have that vulnerability and my editor was like, yeah, we're gonna give you an extension and you're gonna dig a little deeper. And she was kind of like a midwife, like, how did this make you feel? How did this make you feel? And I was like, "Ugh," but right in the perfect places. And then all this stuff would pour out and it was very serious and very deep. And then I was like, oh my God, the book is not going to be funny anymore. No one's going to like it. So I was trying to balance the kind of self-reflective, um, spiritual aspects of the book, that kind of honest openness with the funny, witty person that I know is still inside me and it's on the book cover smart funny and deeply wise so I mean (laughs) so you're you're
2: speaking there of of finding the balance that can help it be sold to a reader so they pick this one up the shelf well here's something there are many forms of self-help books if I went to the bookshop just down the road I'd see quite a few on the shelf why do you think a reader is going to pick yours up? What is different about what you've written here in front of me that perhaps isn't done in Eat, Pray, Love?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. First of all, it's a very catchy cover, bright orange. Apparently that's a great color to have as a cover. It's different from Eat, Pray, Love. I mean, everybody's story is different, right? I, I kind of, sometimes I describe it as Eat, Pray, Love meets Wild, which is another wonderful book by Cheryl Strayed with a bit of an Indian twist. So um, it's just different because I actually think that no, I haven't read a book by a woman who's actually worked for the UN as an aid worker and who's talking about those experiences in a way that's very accessible. There was a book written by three people who worked at the UN called "Emergency Sex and Other Desperate Measures," which was great. But it it does—it's mine is very different. Mine's like my personal journey. Um, I also talk a lot about humanitarian issues, so I think that that's what differentiates my book from self-help books. Is that most people haven't had that kind of life slash career experience? Maybe
2: some niche book detail. I've often wondered, you, you know, like not the dedication, but the part just after the contents page, you've got a little poem here. How long does it take you to, to think of what that is going to be? Like, this is really like niche nerdy book chat. But how do you know what important words you're going to put that someone else's right before your story starts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was pretty much sold on the real K. Um, I don't know if you want to read it. Or if I should. I will let you. Okay. People are bored of Um, my voice. So this is from Letters to a Young Poet. And I include this passage at the beginning of the book. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. I just love, love, love that. Because for me... That's what I was doing. I was i i'm I'm looking for purpose and meaning in this book. I'm living the questions. you don't you don't I don't know the answer to everything. I don't need to know the answers, but living the questions is the most profound way that we can live. And I feel like that was what I was doing in this whole kind of heroine's journey, if you will. Um, so that's that's why I chose that. I mean, I really did. There were no competitors. I do love quotes. And in fact, I'm an over-quoter. And I had a lot of quotes in this book. And they were just like taking them out. <laughs> they were like, no. Why are you always like quoting other people? People want to hear what you think. And I'm like, but they say it so much better than I do. <laughs> so I tend to overquote, But of course, the final published version you know, there's way fewer quotes in the original draft, but no, they don't ask. They don't ask. I just read a lot. And I, I just love a lot of the things that I read. And then I want to share them with people because that'll, you know, give them sort of an idea of the kinds of things that I'm reading and maybe inspire them to read those books. If they like my book,
2: I guess the last question, and I don't want you to spoil your book, but the book is one woman's dating detox, your journey uh, to find, I, I guess, the meaning of who you need to love. What's your opinions on, on love now? What, what, do you, what do you need? What, what do you think other women need?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I write about this in the book, but um, we're so fixated on romantic love, uh, what the Greeks call eros. But, you know, if you look at ancient Greek culture, um, they had so many different names for love, for the different kinds of love. And so that was one of my big revelations is that I'm focused on meeting this one person, and yet there's so much love in different forms in my life, you know, familial love and love between friends and, you know, love of nature and that kind of uh, agape, they call it in Greek, the spiritual love. So I kind of, when I really realized that Love isn't lacking in my life just because I don't have this like one guy. It was so incredible. It was so profound. It made me feel so full. So I think that's probably some of my wisdom is like, you know, you're not, you're not alone and there's a lot of love and and you kind of are love. That was one of my other big takeaways is that I was looking for something that I was because I think that love is an energy, right? And so we already have it. So we don't need to look. That is
2: it for this week's episode then. A huge thank you to Natasha Scripture for coming on the show and for chatting to me on her UK release tour. Her book is Man Fast, How One Woman's Dating Detox Turned Into a Spiritual Reckoning Across Four Continents. And it's out now. And you can find all those buying details on the website, which is writersroutine.com. Also, while you're there, uh, we've got ways that you can get in touch. If you've got a question for the show, send it in online. And we've got ways that you can listen to every show that you may have missed so far. Now, next week, we're chatting to Marianne Kavanagh. She's just published this fantastic novel, one of the best things I've read in quite a long time. It's called Should You Ask Me? And it's this like wonderful tale of a historic murder that's set in the countryside And it ties two completely different characters' stories together. And it makes you ask a lot of questions as well. And it's a good, detailed chat full of warmth as well. That's on the way next week. In the meantime, make sure that you give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram to keep across everything that we're doing on the show. And you can get stuff from us every day on there too. And tell me the story of how your story is getting on. You can do that as a review on the iTunes podcast store. And I'll see you next week with Marianne Kavanagh.